this last week I was in San Francisco. Many of you know I was speaking at a seminary there, Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. has about 1,800 students, and uh, it was just a blast to be out there, and God did some great things. I would rather hang out with college students than, than any other group of people. And, uh, and so it was, it was just, it was just, it was engaging and it was just a lot of fun for me. And so thank you guys for praying for me as I went out there. Well, this morning we're, we're starting a brand new series. We're starting a series through the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah is in the Old Testament. It's written in about 760 BC. And Jonah has, you know, whenever we think of the book of Jonah, we always think of the guy that got swallowed by the fish, the guy that got swallowed by the whale. And we kind of think about that whole deal. But listen, let me tell you something. That's not the most important part of the story. And I want you to understand the life of Jonah. And one, because here's where Jonah's different from all the other minor prophets that are in Scripture. All the other minor prophets in Scripture, they wrote about God and judgment and warnings and all this thing, but not Jonah. Jonah wrote about, fact is, it was his personal struggle with God. It was his personal struggle with God of, of submitting to him and walking with him, submitting to his will. It was his personal struggle with some struggles that he had with God, some questions that he had for God. He had some issues that he had. That how could God show grace on a group of people that he didn't think God should show grace on? How, why was God asking him to do some things that he really didn't want to do? And so when we go through this book of Jonah, it is, it is my desire, it's my dream that you would take time and you would begin reading through the book of Jonah. Listen, it's only four chapters. It would take you about 15 minutes. You could do that every day. Because when you go through the book of Jonah, when you begin reading the book of Jonah, you'll see God differently than you've ever seen him before. That he is a God of second chance and third chance. That he's a God of grace and compassion and mercy. And when men and women are willing just to humble themselves before him, he gives grace and not judgment and compassion. It's a story about a God who gives second chances. It's a story about a God who shows mercy and compassion. It's a story about a God who doesn't play favorites. It's just a story about God when you start looking at this. Now, a little bit of context, because context is so important to understand Scripture. This was a, this was a difficult time in Israel's history. I mean, they, they had a king that did evil in the sight of the Lord. You see that a lot in the Old Testament, and, and did evil in the sight of the Lord. But, but even during this time... Even though the king did evil in the sight of the Lord, he pushed the prominence of Israel huge. He, he expanded their boundaries. There was a lot of great things that were going on for them as a country, as a people group, if you will. Now, Jonah was very patriotic. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 4, Nahum will tell you that Jonah was like this patriotic prophet, that he was very patriotic. He loved Israel. He loved his country. He had great zeal for it. He great, had great passion for it and and then God calls Jonah to do something that Jonah didn't want to do because when you look at when you look at this issue of Israel you find that God showed grace on a people group that it sometimes didn't really deserve it 
And God had promised Israel that you'll never be wiped out and you'll never be destroyed. And so God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was about 500 miles east of where Jonah was born, where Jonah lived. And Jonah gets the call, and it didn't make him happy at all. Because Nineveh represented everything that Jonah hated. Everything that Jonah stood for, they stood against. When God asked Jonah to go to, 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 to Nineveh, this was not a great deal for him. I mean, I mean, Nineveh was like their arch rival. It would be like, it'd be like Brett Favre going and playing for the Minnesota Vikings. Or if you put it in your context, it would be like John Elway finishing out his career as an Oakland Raider. Yeah, okay, now we went from preaching to meddling. I mean, this is like their arch rival. There is, I mean, they believe that nothing good ever came out of Nineveh. Nineveh was like this evil empire. Nineveh represented everything bad about Assyria. Nineveh was this place of great wealth and great power. In fact, is in, in digs and finds that they found. They have found, archaeologists have found Nineveh. And they found that it was just great wealth, great power. In fact, is the royal palace spanned three city blocks. It had great water parks. It had great gardens. It had great libraries and everything like that. Nineveh had a lot of wealth and power, and they stood for everything that Jonah, Jonah hated. So when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, jo Jonah basically claimed, God, I'll work with my people. I'll work with the people that I like. I'll work with my people group, but I will not go. I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. So he ran. So we picked the story up. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittite. Go to the city of Nineveh, pretty plain, and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh's sin was not, un it wasn't subtle sins. It was the flagrant, in-your-face sins. It was the sins that was just, they were open, they were flagrant about it. It was kind of in-your-face. Naom said that Nineveh was known for a city of blood, a city of lies, a city of deceit. Sexuality, promiscu sexual promiscuity ran rampant with prostitution and everything that went along with that. And Nineveh had this great military force. And they believed they were invincible. They believed nobody could destroy them. Nobody could bring them down. Fact is, they were guilty of great war crimes because they believed they were a superpower of their land, and nobody could bring them down. And so they saw themselves as like this untouchable pe people group. But the sad thing is this. God had had enough. And God had seen what they were doing, and God had seen how they were living their life, and God had had enough. And, and even though God does not own, owe a warning to anyone, He's a God of love and compassion. And he sent Jonah to warn him. To warn him about what was going to happen. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Stop right there. Have you ever done that? Have you ever ran away from the Lord? 
I have. Probably the most significant time in my life that I ran from him started in 1983. And God called me into the ministry. He called me to preach, and I knew it. It was clear. It was just as clear as Jonah's call to go to Nineveh. It's something that I couldn't excuse away and say, I didn't hear you. I don't know for sure. I mean, it was so clear. And I was in engineering at the time, working in Houston, Texas. And right after that, I hadn't even told, only Karen knew at this point in my life. And two churches contacted me and offered me a job. I turned one down and told one I'd, I'd go to work for you. The day that I was, and I'm not happy or proud about this at all, the day that I was supposed to report to the church that I said I would work for, I called them from my engineering office. So I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. And I ran from him for 10 years of my life trying to find peace and success in accomplishments. The world of engineering and none of that's bad. It's just bad when God's called you to do something else. I know what it's like. To run from him. Listen, I'm not talking about, when, when we talk about running from him, I'm not talking about like a small detour. I'm not talking about just taking a side street and then getting back on track. I am talking about going in the opposite direction. I am talking about a recalculation on the GPS. I mean, I am talking to where it's not just, it's just not a small detour. It's just not one turn. But I am talking about this issue to where Man, you just run, you go in the opposite. See, every time, listen, every time we declare our independence from God and we say, God, I know what you said. I know how you want me to live. I know how you want me to behave. I know how you want me to carry out the affairs of my life, but I am unwilling to do that. We are running from God. It's this willful disobedience in your life and my life to what he's, see, there's people that run from God. They'll say things like, you know, God, I know you want me to forgive them. I'm not. I know you want me to release bitterness and resentment and hatred and all this other stuff. I'm just not doing it. I know you want me to live a life of sexual purity and trust you with my life. I live in America, that's way too hard. I'm just not doing, God, I know. I know you want me to be a man or a woman of integrity and character, a truth teller. I'm not doing it. See, we run from God. Running from God is this willful disobedience to where we say, you know what? I don't care what you've said. I don't care what you've told me to do. I'm just not doing it. And this is what Jonah has done. Watch this. And he headed for Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. 
after paying a fare. That's circled in my Bible, after paying the fare. Let me tell you something. There is always a cost. There's always a fare to be paid. It always comes at a cost when you say, I'm not doing it. Listen, that 10-year period of my life when I ran from God, I know the cost it came to my family. I know the cost that it came to me. There is always a fare to be paid. There is always a cost when we move to the point in life and think, I know better. I know what you've said. I know what you've called me to do. I'm just not doing it. So he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee. Wow. To flee from the Lord. Now, Joppa was like this beautiful city. It was a port city. It was on the Mediterranean Sea. It was where if you wanted to take a cruise, that's where you went. I mean, it would be like Florida in our, in our time. But Joppa was a place where all this, the ships sailed from. That's where you went when you wanted to leave. That's where you went when you wanted to escape. That's where you just went. And so Jonah went to Joppa to sail. And it says, and he sailed to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction of Nineveh. It would be like God asking you to go to Texas and you go to Canada. It's the opposite direction. Have you ever thought about the futility of trying to escape from God? When my daughters were young, they used to love to play hide-and-seek. I don't know if your kids did. My kids, they'd play it. They'd play it to you. just so sick of it. And, they, and they, they were horrible at it. I mean, remember that with young kids? I mean, it was hilarious. It was hard not to laugh. They'd say, hey, play hide-and-seek, hide-and-seek. And, you know, they'd go in the living room, and you'd go in. And, and like, they're, they're hiding behind the fake FICA plant off to the side. I mean, you could see them, and they think, as long as I got my eyes shut and my, my, my hands over my, my face, then, then you can't see me. And so you'd have to play along. You'd go in, I can't see you. Where are you? And they'd, like, laugh. And they'd, then, now they're making noise. And, I mean, and so then finally you'd see them. They can't believe they, you know, they're, I can't believe you found me and all this other stuff. We do the same thing with God. Adam and Eve started it. Genesis chapter 3, verses uh, 8 through 10, watch this. Then the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord after they said, God, as he was walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and they hid from the, the Lord God among the trees of the garden, so they're behind the fake FICA plant. <laughs> and God's, I mean, they're playing the whole game. Watch this. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? I can't see you. Now listen, God knew where they were. God wanted them to know you're hiding from me. God wanted them to have to admit that, that I'm hiding from you. I'm trying to flee from your presence. And so he answered and he says, well, Adam's going like, well, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was, was naked, so I hid. Listen, let me tell you something. Fear of being discovered will always try to make us cover up our sin. The fear of trying to be discovered will always cause us to move into a cover-up. The fear of our husband finding out, our wife finding out, a friend finding out, our children finding out, our pastor finding out. Why is it we are more worried about people finding out than the Lord? I mean, sometimes, sometimes we're more worried about disappointing people than him. Jeremiah 23 was a huge chapter as we've gone through life journaling for me, and I, I still go back and I read it all the time. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 4 says this, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do not I feel heaven, declares the Lord? 
Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all the creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom what? To whom we must give an account. You talk about the futility in trying to hide from God even though we do it. Psalms 139, watch this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such wallet knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. We can't even hide in the cover of darkness. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is light to you. It's futile to run from God. It's futile to try to hide from him. Here's what I learned when I ran from God. It takes more energy to run from him than it does to run with him. It has sucked the life, the joy. It has sucked everything out of your life because you're just trying to learn survival skills. You're just trying to get through it, and you build into false beliefs to where you say, you know what, sooner or later I'll find peace. Should sooner or later I'll try to get this peace and joy for myself, and it's only found in him. So watch this. Verse 6, the captain uh, went to him and said, went to Jonah. See, here's what's happening. Remember, back to the story. There, the ships, uh, the, the storm's going. The guys are praying out to their gods, and, and they're different gods. Isn't it interesting? The one that calls the storm is too oblivious to what's going on. You ever been in a situation like that to the one that is causing the storm in your life is like in denial? They're in depression. They're just kind of hiding away. Are they're isolating. This is what Jonah did. Jonah's isolating from the group. He's isolating from people. You see, in their day, they were crying out. The men in the ship were crying out to different gods. And the captain says, well, where's Jonah? So he goes down and he says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, the lots fell on Jonah. See, in their day, it was common. They would cast lots to discern God's will. They did it in the Old Testament, they did it in the New Testament as well. Here's what Proverbs 16:33 says about this. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. It wasn't the men that exposed Jonah. It was God that exposed Jonah. God is the one. Listen, your sin will always find you out. There will come the time in your life to where God will say, you know what, I've had enough. So the sailors, they now know the problem is Jonah. They know that the storm that they're going through is a result of Jonah's sin, and here's just a little sidebar to this whole story. It is a false belief to believe that your sin only hurts you. Man, we live in a time where people say, hey, what I do in my bedroom is okay. 
It doesn't hurt anyone else. It doesn't affect what I watch on a computer screen, what I watch on TV, the choices, the decisions that I make. And listen, let me tell you something. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Your sin, my sin, costs those that are in community with you. These sailors, innocent. They're just doing their job. God pays a fare, gets on the ship, they sail. But because of his sin. Verse 8. So they ask him, Jonah, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. <laughs> what did you do? It's a great question. Where did you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the seas and the land. You see, in their days, they, they, had, they had many different gods. The sailors on the ship came from all different countries, all different areas. And so they had many different gods, little g-gods, but they had many different gods. So, so the men are up on the ship, and they're all praying to their god. But in their culture, in their time, the supreme god, the most powerful god, was a god that controlled the heavens and the earth and the sea. And so when Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the god that created the universe, the heavens, and the sea, that's why verse 10, they said, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Isn't it so interesting that many times that lost people, non-believers, can look into the lives of believers and says, how can you live like that? I don't even know your God. I don't even follow your God. But I know this, that you shouldn't do that. I mean, what have you done? I mean, they didn't know Jonah's God, but they knew this was a God that you shouldn't mess with. I mean, these guys spent most of their life on the open sea. They weren't office guys. They weren't stuffed in an office every day. They lived in the elements. They lived on the sea. I mean, they were windburned, sunburned, uh, calloused, hard, tough guys that lived. The fact is they risked their lives every day of their life. They're like the deadliest catch guys. I mean, these guys, their life is in the hands of the elements. They have faced storms, but at the same time, they've seen the beauty in a sunrise. They've seen the beauty in a sunset. They've, been, they've seen the majestic stars and, and seas and everything else, and they knew there had to be a creator. And at the same time, they saw the fury and the danger of a storm. And when Jonah says, I, I worship the one, who created the heavens and the earth. They knew he was powerful. And even though they didn't know him, they knew you shouldn't mess with him. Verse 11, then the sea was getting rougher and rougher. It's a picture of until you surrender to him, the storm may get rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to, to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah knew, verse 12, just pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this is a great storm has come upon you. I know it's my fault that you guys are going through a storm of your life. I know it's my fault. Now, some of the guys were probably happy to throw him overboard. Yeah. But collectively, collectively they decided we can't do that. I mean, we're sailors, not pirates. I mean, we don't, we don't throw people overboard. 
so we'll enable him. We do that a lot of times in life. We go through storms because of the sin of one, because of their consequences. And when God's saying, turn them over to me, we gather around them and we protect them. We enable them, right? It's one thing to trust your life to God. It's a totally different deal to trust someone else's life to God. And so many times we prolong the healing process in someone's life because we just want to protect them from God. And we just can't come to the point to we just throw them overboard. Verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. That word row in the Hebrew means to dig in. I mean, they dug in, and they said, you know what? We're going to, however much strength that we have to expend, however much energy it takes us, we're going to protect Jonah. We're not throwing him overboard. And so in the Hebrew, it says they dug in, but watch this. Instead, the men did the best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. This is like a perfect storm in verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord. Now, here's these lost guys now crying out to the Lord, big L. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, oh, Lord, have done as you please. Okay, from a human perspective... God, if we throw this man overboard, he'll die. We do that all the time. God, if I don't enable this person, it'll be disaster for them. I'll find them dead. No telling where they'll go. God, I can't set boundaries. I cannot do that. See, from a human perspective, we say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. But what God was asking them to do was for Jonah's healing. And so they dug in. And then they got to the point, like many of us, it took way too much energy to enable. And they finally got to the point, and they said, God, we hate doing this. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the, the sea grew calm. Sometimes we go through a storm of life because of the actions are the sin of another. We're innocent, had nothing to do with it, just like these sailors. And sometimes we do. Scripture is clear. God, it rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes we go through a storm of life, no fault of our own. It's because the consequences are the stuff of another. The truth is, sometimes we go through a storm because it's our fault. Because it's choices that we've made. It's decisions that we've made. Whether it was disobedience or whatever. The scripture does say that if you sow to the wind, you will reap a whirlwind. I've lived in Texas. where been through tons of hurricanes. Where some hurricanes as a child, I can remember watching the, watching the outer walls of our house go six inches in and six inches the other way. And I'm telling you, after going through a lot of storms... It is a beautiful thing when a storm ends. 
It's a beautiful thing. I mean, there's like this peace and there's comfort when you realize that you're going to live, that you're going to be okay. It's a beautiful thing when a storm ends and peace returns to someone. And guess what? I've heard people tell me, you know what? The storm ceased in my life when I started hanging out with a different group of people. The storm ceased in my life when I took that bottle and I poured that bottle down the sink. The storm, the storm ceased in my life when I took those drugs and flushed them down the toilet. The storm ceased in my life when I started walking in sexual purity. The storm ceased in my life when I became a truth teller worried about integrity and character and following him. The storm ceased in my life when I was willing to go down into the cargo area of my life and pick up that unforgiveness and that hatred and that bitterness and that anger and all that other stuff. And I went up and I just took it and I threw it over. The storm ceased in my life when I made a change in my life. It's a good day when God stops the storm and gives you peace and gives you comfort at this. The men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. It was a crazy deal. These lost guys, they weren't very impressed with Jonah, but they were impressed with Jonah's God. Jonah is now in the sea, done, gone, and he's unaware of the influence that he had on these men. Many times we're unaware of the influence that we have on people around us. Same with Jonah. And same with Jonah. Why do we run from God? Why do we try to flee from his presence? Why are some of you running from God right now? Some will tell me because, you know what, I don't know if I truly believe there really is a God. There really is a creator. I mean, I, I just don't know that I really believe that. I mean, I mean, I see the heavens and the stars and creation and how everything fits together. Romans 1, 19, 20 says, guess what? Because of that, no man will be without excuse. Let me ask you something. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe we're just here by accident with no plan, no purpose, no meaning? Some run from God because they're just rebellious. I mean, it's just a rebellious nature, and they say, you know what? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Not my wife, not my husband, not my boss, not some preacher, and especially not God. I mean, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just not going to be obedient. I'm just not going to do that. Some run from God. Because they really don't know him and his compassion. And they view him as being mean and judgmental and hurtful and painful. And so they're afraid of him. Some run from God because they know him. But they don't trust him. God, thanks for the cross. Thanks for the whole forgiveness of sin stuff thinks that one day because of that I'll be in heaven with you. God, I'll let you be my Savior, but you're not going to be my Lord. Listen, you don't get one without the other. If he is truly your Savior, he is your Lord. And you follow him and you walk with him. 
And so some say, you know what, God? You can run with me if you'd like, but I'm going to decide where I go. I'm going to decide the twists and turns the roads that I take. And some run from God because they don't know if they really hurt him or they hurt him and they're unwilling to do what he's asked them to do. That was me. Excuse me. You want me to move where? You want me to do what? You want me to go to what school? You want me to forgive who? You want me to love who? You want me to give what? My whole life? Some people run because they believe they have a better plan. I know the plans I have for me to give me a hope and to give me a future. And some run from God because they believe their plan is better. God's will for them is really their plan, and God can just bless it if he wants to. God, you can, you can run with me if you would like. But I'm telling you this from living experience. Real life is only found. Peace, joy, comfort. When we run with him instead of from him. 